Hi, I'm Teresa Duncan. And I'm Kevin Henry. Welcome to Chew On This. We are excited to bring you our views of current topics in the dental industry and put a little different spin on them, giving you something to chew on. If you need to jump off, be sure to check the show notes for links as well as how to get in touch with us. And now let's give you something to chew on. And we're back for another episode of Chew On This. My co-host, Kevin Henry. Hello, how are you? I am wonderful, Teresa. Great to hear your voice as always. Well, I don't know if my son feels the same. We uh, we had the whole packing for college thing, and I was telling him nothing but pack this, pack that. So I can think of one person that doesn't think it's lovely to hear my voice. Well, that's <laughs> that's why it's not chew on this with Teresa Noah. So see, there you go. So <laughs> it would be a lot of four letter words with my son, I think. So <laughs> okay, so we uh, we are very excited about this podcast, listeners. What we're going to try to do again is just tell you what's going on out there and give you some information about it, so you have something to Kevin. I would say chew on. <laughs> so we we selected two stories. And again, we, we may rabbit hole down, you know, another story. And that's fine, too. We just try to make it fun for you. So, Kevin, what do you have on your plate? Yeah. So one thing that uh, for those of you who don't know or don't remember, I'm the editor in chief for DrByCuspid.com as well. And one thing that I always try to track for Dr. By Cuspid is uh, COVID-19's effect on the dental industry, not just on individual practices, but on the industry as a whole. And one thing that we heard about quite some time ago that that I personally and, and my team have been keeping an eye on, and Teresa, I know you have as well, is this whole dentist versus hygienist uh, rub that started over PPE and the return to the practice and everything else. I kind of, in my gut, I was like, it's just going to be a matter of time till we start hearing about that bubbling up again and bubbling up in terms of lawsuits and things like that. And that's what we've now heard about in Connecticut, uh, where uh, there are a couple of hygienists who have sued their former employer because they felt like it was a little bit of a whistleblower instance. And certainly I don't want to put any words in anyone's mouth, but what I have read, Teresa, please chime in. Uh, is that these two hygienists went to their dentist and complained about the lack of PPE and the lack of safety in the practice. And all of a sudden he stopped scheduling hygiene in the practice and then started rescheduling it whenever he had new hygienists come into the practice. So essentially they were, you know, in their terms, and again, let's say allegedly, they were allegedly pushed out of their jobs because of what they said about PPE and the the concerns that they raised. Now, I will tell you from a national perspective, the, the Northeast has very much been a hotbed of this whole dentist versus hygienist over PPE. There were a lot of things that came out from the New Jersey Dental Hygiene Association and, and, and in Connecticut, it's really been a powder keg as well, which has been very interesting to watch. And so this is the first lawsuit that I personally have seen come up about PPE and safety, and it boiled down to that. Again, allegedly, this is this is still uh, underway and in, in, in the early process, but it's something that uh, I think we could well see more of. And I'm curious that because we know a first lawsuit always provides a precedent for things moving forward. And Teresa, I'm going to shut up for just a minute and let you throw, throw in a couple of pennies here. And then I'm going to throw out some things that our good friend, uh, dental HR expert Tim Twig, told me uh, as well. 
So I was really in deep thought during this because I, I come at it from a manager perspective. And as a manager, I would really like to provide what I need to the people who work with me. I know from talking to other managers, there have been issues with finding PPE. There has not been, it's, it's hard to find. I think it's loosening up now, but maybe back for all this, that that's probably the period of time that the lawsuit covers. Right. It was hard. It was hard to get. And N95s were, you know, the wild animal that you tried to spot. Maybe the dental association would send you one with a bow on it, but it, they were hard to find. I would love to hear the side of the doctor. I, I'm not a fan of benching them and then hiring other hygienists, I think. But at the same time, I need people who are going to do the work. So I think it really boils down to what do they consider to be reasonable? Yes. You know, Agreed. reasonable PPE. And is there retaliatory action here? Because that's not cool. You know, if you, if they can't do the job and they took action, that's one thing. But but if they perceived it as retaliatory, maybe they were comments. We're not sure. But this seems like it's HR fodder. It, it does. And and like I said, I think that this will provide some kind of precedent for the rest of the country. And let's make sure to say we have not heard, as you mentioned, the doctor side of things. We And we've only heard what was presented in the lawsuit. So, you know, there's there's the old saying about there's two sides to every story and somewhere in the middle is the truth. So I, I think we need to wait and see what, what happens with that. But this is the first one that kind of popped up to me is like, oh, we were talking about this a couple of months ago and here's one. But I, I mentioned Tim Twig a few moments ago. Uh, Tim runs Bent Erickson and Associates out of Oregon. Great resource uh, for those of you who have any dental HR questions. Uh, and Tim wrote an article for me for Dr. By Cuspid a few weeks ago, and we titled it, Can Dental Business Owners Be Held Liable If an Employee Contracts COVID-19? And I know that that's not exactly what we're talking about here, but there's one part of what Tim told me that I want to make sure that I read to you, because uh, obviously he says, you know, one of the things that is important to remember is that we have OSHA, you know, not just, uh, you know, we, we sometimes focus on OSAP and, and very dental focused things, but let's, let's expand out here. Remember, we have OSHA, we have CDC. There are a lot of guidelines in place that employers of, of all genres should be following. And one thing that Tim said whenever I asked him about this, can an employee or can an employer be held liable? Uh, he says, if a business slash practice is following OSHA slash CDC slash health department requirements and guidelines, then there wouldn't be much liability related to COVID exposure or infections. And again, that throws the onus back then on the actual practice itself, as you mentioned, Teresa, to have the proper PPE, to have the proper things in place to protect their employees. Now, let's make clear, this lawsuit that we're talking about that has popped up in Connecticut doesn't necessarily have all COVID as the focus. There is also the, was there a whistleblower situation here and they brought somebody else in? That's what we're going to have to wait and see. But my prediction is, and Teresa, I want to hear your thoughts, is that we're going to see more and more of these whistleblower COVID-19 things start popping up as we go further into the year. I think you are going to see more litigation. We may not hear a lot about it because it could be dropped really quickly or it could be settled. But I will tell you, if you're not, if if we don't hear about these cases being 
filed, I will tell you that that doesn't mean that people aren't walking from their jobs. I know one thing that we're hearing, I'm hearing for sure is it's not just the clinical team, but my managers that I know really well are, are walking. So I, I, and it's not necessarily because they don't have the right PPE, but this is just very, very stressful. And again, from the manager's point of view, if we're hustling and trying to get everything we can and it's just not enough. And it, and you know, I don't, I, I'm not working in an office, so maybe it wouldn't be enough for me either, but it's just not enough. And it just gets very, very frustrating. So I think it, you know, it boils down to this. If you have a really good relationship with your employer manager, this is something that should be constructive and a discussion. And if you don't, then maybe this is what goes sideways. And so maybe it's a communication piece between this, the leader, manager, whoever of this, it looks like it's a multi-location practice yes. in Connecticut. So who knows what was going on there? The whistleblower, I don't know if they, they were reported to OSHA, but there's some pretty strict laws about whistleblower retaliation. So that's probably going to be a factor in this case. And, you know, I know way back in the beginning of COVID, there were talks about a class action lawsuit against, you know, offices or even the ADA at one point, which I'm not even sure how that would work. I just, you know, our, our country is litigation happy. That's for it sure. Is. <laughs> it is. And, and that's something that I think all dentists, all team members need to be aware of. And, and I think it's really important right now that, you know, and we've stressed this, I don't know how many times just Teresa, you and I talking offline about communication and everybody being on the same page and this coming up at those morning huddle meetings that everybody thinks sometimes are so useless. You know, there are times that things like this need to be brought to the forefront and the elephant in the room needs to be addressed, especially if there's mumbling and murmuring, you know, going on behind the scenes that is just festering. And, and I think that that's what I'm seeing and, and hearing about in a lot of practices is the whole, the dentist maybe so focused on the business side of things and keeping the practice going and making sure that they're trying to hit production and everything else. And much like the manager might be as well. And yet the team is over on the other side, grumbling about they're hot, the PPE, are we safe? You know, all, all this stuff that unfortunately comes along with COVID-19. And I think that we are at a point where this, th- there has to be an open, honest communication. If there's anything that is driving somebody to talk about the situation in a whisper instead of out loud. I will tell you that I would be the one complaining about the heat because I was hot all the time anyways before COVID. So what's really interesting to me is that next time, God forbid, I hope we don't have this, but if we have another shutdown, uh, I think finally people are going to be ready for like the worst case scenario because they've had to run through it. So hopefully... You know, I think the good news is this really made people think about disaster preparedness, emergency preparedness. And so hopefully next time around, it's, you know, for whatever reason, we can all handle this a little bit better. I I still would love for the offices, managers and the dentists to go through that kind of emergency preparedness activity, you know, like basically doctors, if you're listening to this and your manager handled it all last time, what's going to happen if God forbid something happens to your manager, are you going to be able to step in? Where is all that information and managers, same thing. We have a, a 
oral surgeon in our area, really nice guy. He passed away just recently after being on a ventilator for months. And his manager now is pretty much, I mean, still open because they have another associate, but his manager now is really, I'm sure she's taking a look at everything and, and trying to pick up the pieces. So same thing, managers, what happens if something happens to your doctor? Are you ready to help out? So I think this has just taught us so many different lessons. It has, you know, and Teresa, I know you and I would speak at meetings in the past and one of the courses would always be on leadership or something like that. And people would kind of roll their eyes and go, oh, it's touchy feely. You know, we're learning now just how important that leadership, communication, all those things that we've always had in the background as, eh, you know, is this really part of dentistry? Yeah, it is because it's part of running a business and the worst case scenario that, that we had in the back of our minds and that, oh, this will never happen thing. It's happened and yeah, it could happen again. So preparedness is such an important thing. It's interesting about the the soft skills discussion that we're having now. There's there's an increased awareness of the fact that soft skills are what's going to get you through a lot of things in life. So especially with this higher education, there's been a focus on higher education and how you know, a lot of people are giving up the gap year. They're not, you know, they're not necessarily going back to school. Are you familiar with the company Chegg? It's a textbook rental I'm not. company. So uh, unfortunately, I am intimately <laughs> <laughs> familiar with this, this company that takes my money. But the owner was on a podcast recently, and I can link it in the show notes. But he was talking about how in today's higher education world and wanting to demand, you know, quality for your education. He would recommend taking communication, leadership skills, business skills, you know, worry about getting your, you know, dance degree or science degree when it's available, when it makes sense. But right now go for the skills that you are definitely going to need, but nobody really takes them because, you know, it doesn't fit with the curriculum or whatever. So, and I think we'll say, and, and another thing too, Kevin, is that when I was hiring for the office, the person who communicated the best was always at the top of the, the, the line. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, well, if we shut down again, either my doctor's not going to make it, or this is my chance to go find another job. Cause if you're an assistant, you are like gold out there. I hope you know that it's very hard yep. to find you and right. you know, beef up on your skills there. Yeah. I, I will tell you, you know, my bat, my bachelor's degree is in public relations. And, and I will tell you, there have been so many times in these last 30 some years that I've been very thankful to have that degree because whether it's settling some kind of disagreement or knowing how to spin something a little bit and knowing how to communicate it, those skills are so important right now, especially in the climate that we live in, not just with COVID, but everything political, you know, so, so many things that are going on in our country right now that we have to navigate through every day in the practice and just in our lives in general. So I agree. Conflict resolution is huge. If you're thinking, well, I'm an assistant, I'm a hygienist. I don't really need to worry about that. Conflict resolution is so helpful to know your rights too. So it makes you more confident in arguing for your rights. It makes you more confident in conversations about things that are going bad. Most managers could take a course in conflict resolution every year and learn something new. So I highly recommend that. Doctors too, always, always the doctors need to keep learning. But uh, yeah, conflict resolution is huge, especially when you have kids, when you have neighbors that aren't really, you know, working out, you've got, you know, just every part of your life. You know, I, I think it was the Beastie Boys who maybe said it best. You know, you have to fight 
for your right to party. But I would dare say that you have to fight for your right to have your opinions heard as well, you know. And so so thank you to the bards of our generation, the Beastie Boys, for that inspiration this morning. But uh, no, I, I, I think it's vitally important that we we are able to communicate how we feel. And, to, you know, I, I heard one time that, that the two things that humans need more than anything else is to be loved and to be heard. And, and I think that if we, we keep that in mind every day, whether it's the patient sitting in the chair or the team members that we work with as well, that's, that's a critical part to just us as a society moving forward. Well, we are, we are really like up there, high <sighs> level, soft yeah, skills, I, all that kind of stuff. I tell you what. I got to bring us down to like the oh. most basic of human needs, which is a way to have money. Yes. Maybe it's not a it's not it's not a basic human need. Let's be honest. It's my human need. I would <laughs> like to have money, but let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about pricing transparency. Are you ready to make the transition? This is a jump, and I am I'll leap with you absolutely. All right. So you know, last year there was uh, some legislation that was pushed through. Uh, the president pushed through uh, pricing transparency litigation bill. And it's been held up. The hospitals, of course, filed that we don't want to do this. So they argued that it was going to cost an awful lot of administrative money to do this. And it would. And so really what it meant was you would see the list price of all of the services that you receive in a hospital. So I'm not talking dental now. Let's keep out of dental for just a second. When you go to a hospital, you, as you know, you get billed for every little thing. And a lot of times you don't realize that and I, I have a friend in Indiana and he had a hospitalization and he was like, Holy cow, this bill. And I said, Look, you need to go through every single one of them with the billing person and they're going to write off some of it because they're used to writing off some of it. And he was successful. You know, he thinks I'm awesome and all that. So, and it saved him money, which is really the goal. I also want to give another resource, which is a podcast called An Arm and a Leg. And so if you want to hear about how to save money on medical bills, An Arm and a Leg is a wonderful podcast. I love it. If you're anything to do with insurance or billing, you're going to you're going to love it too. So the tra- the transparency bill. So the hospital association, you know, lobbied against it and said, "No, we can't do this. It would be on, you know, too much administrative burden, all this kind of stuff." The courts ruled that that's not, you know, that's not enough. So it's back in play. It's winding its way down. What it would mean is, of course, the hospitals would have to pretty much bust out how much they're charging, which I believe would make any of the participating contract fees out there, which is very interesting if you're a carrier. And one of the rules with negotiating is that you keep your fee schedule to yourself. So I'm curious to see how that's going to roll into all of this. Where it comes down to dental, just just to let you all know, usually when something big happens in the healthcare field, the ADA is right in there with lobbying. And sometimes we're not we're not at the table in the beginning, but we definitely come up later and say this shouldn't apply to us. So red flag rules was another one where we had to ask for identification across the board and all this. This is years ago, like 12, 15 years ago. So they came to the board and or came to the table and said, This is too much for us. We really have that we don't have that issue here. So will the ADA pop up and say, We really don't want to do pricing transparency, or will the ADA pop up and say they support it? I don't know. I have no insight into that. I've read nothing from the ADA supporting it or against it. 
but what would it mean for the office? So Kevin, you're thinking, how on earth am I going to like, what is, what am I paying now? Are you curious to know what the breakdown is of everything? I am riding this roller coaster with you. Let's go. Absolutely. <laughs> so we'd be breaking down the lab costs. So everything on the bill would, you know, would you have one bill for crown? I think so. Cause that's how we do, we do it in dentistry. We roll to we roll up all of the expenses into the fee. Would this make us change it now so that we break out everything so that it's all transparent to the patient? I don't know how granular we're going to get. I don't want to scare you all with this. I'm just giving examples because that's how the medical side is. And, you know, if you've attended any of my classes, I do feel we're going down the medical road, at least in my career lifetime, we're, we're probably going to get there. It will cause a lot of admin strife. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, your wife is the lovely Dana Johnson, uh, Dentrix extraordinaire. She is um, she's going to have to coach all this. So honestly, I'm thinking to myself, how do I get that message across to Dana? How do I get that message across to consultants? Because what's going to happen is and I bring up Dana because of the software issue, the mm -hmm. software now is going to have to be told to print out everything. The software is now going to have to show what your true cost is versus what you're charging. It's, it's really a mess. So yeah, is there any upside to this for you? I don't see much to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, it sounds like a lot of administrative headache as well as a lot more time than that you're going to have to be explaining things and knowing what COVID is doing to schedules and, and certain number of people and certain number part of parts of the practice, I should say. That's a little frightening to know that you may have, be having this in-depth and maybe even heated discussion about, well, what's this bill? What's this charge? Why am I charging this? Can we write that off? You know, I, that's a little scary in my mind. It is. And it's a lot, you know, this is why medical offices and hospitals have billing departments, not just one person. And, mm -hmm. you know, we don't have that margin built in the same manner for, for healthcare, for dental practices. If I'm the ADA, I would point out that we as an industry regularly give costs before work is done. And, you know, it's industry standard to provide estimates ahead of time. Because what's really at play here is the fact that so many patients, they feel like the pricing is vague yeah. and subjective. And so hopefully the ADA can show that if they decide to get involved that show that it's not that way in our industry, we're very upfront with everything. So how you can handle that now, I think for offices is to make sure that you are being as transparent as possible. Make sure that you are saying, you know, here's our cost for it. This is what you will expect. If you're wrong with your estimate, make sure you let them know, you know, we were off by a little bit and always use this best estimate. You know, I noticed mm -hmm. in my medical office, Last time I had a procedure done, she told me to the penny how much it was going to cost. And it was not correct. But she swore this was how much it was going to, going to cost. And I thought, geez, I teach. Like, that's everything against what I teach. <laughs> like, I'm, like, you are not being poached because I'm not talking to you anymore. <laughs> You're not coming over to dentistry. <laughs> you know, and, and we're an industry. And, you know, Teresa, I think, you know, argue with me on this one. We're an industry that hates talking about money. I mean, we have so many people that are not comfortable talking about that. And that's the last thing they want to talk about. And now if this gets forced on them, boy, I can see that being a, a big stressor, to be honest. I really, I love asking for money because I feel that, I feel that we deserve all of the money that we charge. I really sure. do. I truly do. Agreed. I think we, we don't give ourselves enough credit. And when we start 
kind of pussyfooting around about money. The patient picks up on that. It doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. You know, in the patient's mind, he cares more about me than the money. And yes, that's great and all, but that doesn't mean walk away, you know, and, and everything is for free. But you're right. I think that is that is an issue. Now, you deal with a lot of assistants. You know, your yeah. focus is assistants. Are they comfortable asking for money? Would you venture to guess on that? I think it depends on the person, to be honest. But, you know, there are more assistants who are S personalities out there, you know, and I've, I'm a certified DISC trainer, so I believe so strongly in DISC. And S is my personality style as well. And we're not comfortable with any kind of conflict or anything else. And that includes asking for money, <laughs> you know? So I know there are a lot of assistants out there that are very thankful that there is a front desk an office manager to do that job. So they don't have to, they can certainly prime the pump, but I also know that COVID-19 has changed things. And I know that a lot of dental practices are now taking payments in the back, uh, you know, to go ahead and get that patient out of there. So I think the mentality about money has changed. And if that's, one positive to come out of COVID-19 in the dental practice. Maybe there's the silver lining, but I, I still think that for a lot of folks, it's a, it's a sticky subject, even though that's how they make their living. And even though that's how they'll continue to pay their bills. So it's, it's interesting to watch. It is. And I, and you're right about, you know, the payments going into the back. I, I am hearing a lot about you know, can we train the assistant? Can we train the hygienist to do everything in the back? And I just, I want to bring up one, one issue too, that kind of ties back into the previous topic of hygienists. And let's just talk about staffing here. A friend of mine, we were on the phone and, you know, as consultants, we tend to talk, right? And she has a client who's following, I think this is the panky way. I, I don't know, but what he's doing is he, did not hire anybody but hygienists. So he has hygienists in his office who not only clean teeth, he has assistants, I'm sorry. He has hygienists that clean, te- that clean the teeth to provide the perio, but also work the front. And he pays them a little bit more and he knows he's paying more on the admin side. But what he has now is the beginning to end, you know, patient experience And they also understand insurance really well. And if somebody calls in sick, they're able to jump in and he doesn't lose any money off the schedule. I thought that was pretty interesting. I've heard about it, but, you know, kind of write it off like, you know, I don't know, that doesn't really sound great. But in today's day and age, staffing, it's hard. First of all, we're not finding people. It's hard. So maybe, honestly, I don't know how he found three hygienists who would be willing to do this because finding three hygienists, period, is uh is hard it's tough. what is it is it, is it a pod of hygienists is it a i'd call it a pod of hygienists i, I don't think pack would be a pack would be a, a bad word but I, i'll call it a pod what is that, it with um oh a murder of hygienists that's that's crows right a murder <laughs> of crows a murder of hygienists that doesn't sound right either so yeah yeah I, let's go with let's go with pod let's go with pod <laughs> that's good i like that no and, and you're right i mean uh you know hiring challenges or throughout the country. And, you know, I'm, I'm hearing from a lot of assistants who uh, may live in rural areas and they are quote unquote stuck where they are. Uh, one, as one told me, but in, in a lot of the major Metro areas and a lot of the, the suburban areas, there are a lot of opportunities for people to move around. And that's also putting more pressure than on the dentist to make sure that 
the environment is the way it should be. But but that's a very interesting uh, way to tackle things, I think, is just go all hygiene all the time. You know, there's so many changes that have come up and some of them are heartbreaking. I'm curious if Bicuspital run an article on what I'm going to talk about next, which is, and and I'm totally surprising Kevin with this because he's looking at me like, what? He only talked about two things. (laughs) But I just thought of this is, you know, with, with the riots and the looting that are happening in different cities, I know of one dentist who had you know, his storefront destroyed, he rebuilt. I know of another yep. dentist recently that is in an area that has been looted and he's decided to sell his practice down there. He's just mm-hmm. liquidating it, getting out. So what does this mean for urban population of dentists? I mean, is now the the suburbs, is the suburb, are they the hot place to be a dentist now? You know, what's going to happen? Yeah. And also, also with this new trend of working from home, a lot of people who went to their dentist in the city, they're not there anymore. So, right. you know, the practices that are built up on the professionals, how does this look now? It, it's just, it's very fascinating to me, but I, I feel for the owners who, number one, pay huge rent on these places if they don't own it. And then to have your patient base kind of dry up and disappear. So I have a friend who's a dentist in downtown Denver. It's not far from where I live. And he and I were talking the other day because I was curious about how things were going for his business. And he said basically what you said just a moment ago, that his patient base has dried up completely. And I'm just using Denver as an example because I know it so well. Uh, You know, before COVID, you know, this time last year, let's flash back, you know, the Rockies were playing in downtown Denver. You had 30 to 40,000 people coming down there every night. So the restaurants, the bars, everything were filled. You had people working during the day uh, and that, yes, then they would, schedule their dental appointment not far from their work to make it very easy. And all of a sudden now that's all gone. So when you see restaurants in downtown Denver closing because there's a lack of people there, you know that the same thing is happening to dental practices, you know, to even medical practices, I would think, because there's not a reason right now to go to downtown Denver. I mean, it's unfortunate there's no musicals, there's no sports. I mean, there are, but you can't attend them. And, and a lot of the bar owners, a lot of the restaurant owners, you know, we're still open here in Colorado at 50% capacity, but even then it's, it's tough to draw a crowd because there's no reason to go down there except to, if there's a favorite restaurant you have. I'm wondering if we should probably look at doing a, a an informal survey or Dr. Bicuspid do something, but how are the city practices doing versus the suburban practices, you know, on the Facebook groups, I'm seeing a lot of, well, we're super busy. And then there'll be one that's like, I don't know what we're doing wrong. And I'm wondering if the ones in the city are like, wait a second, where is everything? You know, where is everyone? Because I know the ones in the suburbs here in Northern Virginia, they are slammed, slammed right now and, and have been. So who knows? And we talked last time about making sure that, you know, keep an eye out on the the uh, slowdown, you know, in the, in the last part of the year, but if you're in the suburbs and everybody's home now and they have the time to go to the office. Yeah. And you know, one thing that, you know, and you mentioned it a few months ago, I interviewed a dentist in San Francisco and she's right near union square there in San Francisco. And when all the protests and everything were going on, she was absolutely frightened for what was going to happen to her practice. And she said that she would stand outside almost to let them know. And and she is of Indian 
descent. Uh, so she said that her mm-hmm. dark skin color, actually, she felt said helped a little bit, but she would stand out front in almost a way to oh, wow. protect her business. Now think about everything that we've gone through as an industry. And now you're having to stand outside to protect your business from being looted or, or, or bashed in. It's, it's incredible what some of these dentists in city centers are having to go through right now. I remember when the, when it first broke out in Minneapolis, there were Asian market owners that were on the roof of their, they had like five or six people. There was one shot. They had the roof, they had three people on the roof, like with guns. And they were basically like, you know, just try it. So (laughs) we dentists, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you get your alginate ready. Maybe, you know, make some alginate bombs and throw them at them, right? So Stone bombs and. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know though. It is, it is really scary that, you know, to think of it that way, but, but as far as uh, patient demographics kind of drying up, I'm really curious about that. So if you're living in a listeners, if you're in a, in a real urban setting and you feel like this is happening to you, we'd love to talk to you. you oh, know, yeah. Kevin could Absolutely. definitely write Let's an article talk. about you and you're, you're welcome to come on either of our other podcasts and we'd love to talk to you. Because how do you reverse that if it doesn't look like it's reversible? I mean, everybody's working from home and the companies are all going that way. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to curious. chat with somebody Very about curious. that. Absolutely. Because I, I think that that's something that, as you said, if you're in the suburbs or you're in a rural area, you, you look at the news and you go, oh, gosh, that's horrible. But you don't think about your colleagues that are right in the middle of that horribleness, for lack of a better word there. Uh, you know, and, and it's something. Now, you have quite a commute for your dental visit. Now, are you, have you switched dentists or are you still making the commute? Yeah. So, so mine's actually about 15 minutes away. Oh. I just have that friend through the, uh, that I met at one of the Rocky mountain meetings uh, in recent years. So he and I chat, okay. you know, just, just stuff what's going on. But, uh, but I can tell you my next door neighbor, uh, ironically, you know, she knows what I do for a living and we were, we were at dinner the other night and talking and she was saying how that she has switched dentists because as you said, she doesn't work downtown anymore. So she's actually moved to one here in, in our uh, town. So, you know, it's, it's a domino effect, honestly. Man. So we are interested to hear your point of view. We have, uh, I'm sorry I added in that extra topic, Kevin. I was totally, you know, I totally blindsided you. You did. And that's fine. I'll get you back on the next episode. Just you wait, (laughs) Missy. (laughs) He he really will, you guys. So (laughs) you'll have to tune in. (laughs) All right. So I think that's enough for you all to chew on, on the ride home or wherever you take us in your ear. And we're very thankful that you do that. So, Kevin, any last thoughts before we say sayonara? No, I appreciate everybody listening. I always enjoy time with you because it's good to bounce ideas off of you, even if they come out of left field. Uh, You know, it's (laughs) it's always a good thing for sure. And uh, uh, certainly looking forward to the next one already. All right. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. Later. And that's a wrap for this episode of Chew on This. We hope you laughed and learned a little. Check out the show notes for any links we mentioned, and don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. Feel free to drop us a comment on social media or by email if you have any suggestions for future topics. We'll be back in about two weeks. See you then.